Hey friends, this is John, uh, lead pastor of Lighthouse Church. Before we jump into this week's podcast, I just wanted to let you know, uh, we did have some technical difficulties at the very beginning of the recording, and we missed uh, the beginning part where I read the teaching text. And so before we jump into the episode today, I just want to read this over us as we jump in. This is Matthew chapter 16 from uh, 21, verse 21 to 26. It says this, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? And then Isaiah 43, verse 19. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. God, we just make room for you right now as we jump into this teaching together, whether it's in this current moment or it's down the road sometime in the future. God, we give you our attention. We give you our devotion. Holy Spirit, open our eyes and our ears as we dive into the truth of your word. Amen. Into the water in full armor, full dressed all the way through, and they would enter into the waters of baptism before they left, just as we do today, entering the waters as the old self, and coming out of the waters filled with new life, representing what God has done in us. Very truly, right, the old has gone. This would be a lot more smooth if I had my headset on. (laughs) All the way down into the water, the old is gone, and what? The new has come. From death to life. But the story goes that when these crusaders went down into the water, not everything went down with them. The story goes that when they went down into the water, they would hold one thing out of the water, their sword. God, you can have all of me except this. God, I will die to everything you are calling me to die to, but not this, but not this. It's a powerful picture, isn't it? We're in our eighth and final week of a series called Life in a Kingdom or Life in the Kingdom. But it's it's really been a conversation we've been having this entire fall, uh, a conversation really about a return back to discipleship to Jesus. Very much our own personal following of Jesus, not just with pieces of our lives, but with our whole lives. It's one thing to to attend a church like this one here this morning. But it's a whole other thing to come to the Father and give your whole life to follow Jesus. 
a whole new life that is soaked in the goodness and the love of God. Because this is what we see happening in the disciples that are closest to Jesus. They gave up everything because in Jesus, they actually found everything they were longing for. And this is also what we see in the book of Acts at the very beginnings of the church. The Holy Spirit is poured out on the day of Pentecost and, and the church is born. The presence of God fills the followers of Jesus in the upper room. And then this movement begins to spread throughout the entire Roman Empire. But this wasn't a movement of good human ideas. This wasn't a movement of self-help or self-gratification or self-fulfillment. This was not a movement of half-hearted people thinking that Jesus was just a good guy. This was men and women who were absolutely captivated by the love of God and so filled with the Holy Spirit that they gave up everything that the world told them was good in order to give their lives to follow every single word that came out of the mouth of Jesus. Jesus was very practically Lord of their lives and this changed everything. It changed everything. When Jesus said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near in Matthew 4, they did just that with every part of themselves. Life in the kingdom, the conversation we've been having for the last seven weeks, very simply became life itself. They died to everything in order to enter life in the kingdom. One line that Diedrich Bonhoeffer wrote a long time ago has been sticking out to me in the last couple of weeks. He said this, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. And this right here, according to Jesus, is the doorway to life in the kingdom. Not, not just an aspect of it, not just a piece of it. This is the invitation to die. Now, let's talk about the elephant in the room for a second. Come to die is not necessarily the best sales pitch to a movement that you want to start. Right. As soon as I say that, I don't know for you, but even for me, like even writing this teaching this week and, 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 and really putting down on paper or on screen what the Lord was showing me, it's like, oh, man, something inside of us, whether we've been following Jesus for an entire lifetime or we're brand new to the good news of Jesus, there's just something inside of us that just goes, Ugh. not the best sales pitch especially in the world and the culture we are living in today, come and die confronts very truly the air that we breathe. We live in the age of self-help, self-gratification, and self-indulgence. We have entire sections in our bookstores that are filled with ways of mastering our own anxiety, conquering fear, being the best you with titles like The Power of Now, The Power of Positive Thinking, The Magic of Thinking Big, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up. True story. And we're literally right now on Sunday morning, on this weekend, smack dab in the middle of a shopping spree that now is not just a Black Friday sale. It is an entire month. Hold on to your email inboxes, right? And, and I'm, I'm not trying to poke fun at anything. I'm not, I'm not trying to pick something apart. I am asking the question, though, is this hope or is this the best hope that we have for the best life imaginable? Is this the best hope for life that we have? Is all of this actually leading to the life that we hope it will? 
Because it would seem the more we move towards self-fulfillment and self-gratification and self-indulgence, the world around us, at least to me, it just seems like it's starting to get worse. Debt continues to rise for the most part. Loneliness, as I talked about a couple weeks ago, has been named a, 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 at least a, a countrywide pandemic in the U.S. Anxiety and depression are continuously on the rise, and, and war is breaking out in many countries all over the world, even if we don't see it on the news. And we haven't even hit the U.S. election in 2024 yet. Hold on. And I'm not saying all of that to discourage anybody, and I'm not saying that to make that the focus of our attention. All I'm trying to do is point to the fact, are we actually the answer to our own problems? Are we the answer to our own problems? And it's right here at the heart of the problem, Jesus is offering real life, true life, eternal life, this life-altering good news that the world around us, whether it's in the first century or here today, must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. So as we end this series and this conversation really this fall, I want to talk about a kingdom of true life in a world desperately searching for it. A kingdom of true life in a world that is desperately searching for it. Here in Matthew 16, Jesus knows, we read at the very beginning, that Jesus knows he's coming close to the point where he is going to be arrested. He's going to be taken by the religious leaders and he's going to be nailed to a cross and he's going to be left there to die. But he also knows that on the third day he is going to be resurrected to new life. And Jesus is fully ready to go there. Fully ready to give himself absolutely out of love for you and me and for all of humanity and for all of creation. But his disciples have a very different plan in mind. We've talked about this before. They, they fully believe Jesus when he said that the kingdom of heaven has come near. The problem is their idea of kingdom is very different than his. Their idea of victory or their, their idea of the good life was for Jesus to physically destroy all their enemies, not save them. In their minds, Jesus was going to take over the government and he was going to rule and they were going to be right beside him. Jesus ruling and reigning was actually going to work out very well for them. They were following the guy in their mind that was going to lead a whole new revolution. And guess where they were? They were there right at the beginning. Jesus, it's going to be you and me ruling forever. And this was especially true for Peter. Peter was zealous. He was full of passion. But he was also full of self-interest. Jesus, I'm ready. I have my sword, you give the word, and it's you and me, Jesus, storming the gates of Rome. I am with you until the end. But Peter's version of good was, it was very simple. Get rid of those in power and let's rule in their place. That, that was Peter's version of the good life. And this is why Peter says to Jesus, never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. And at first glance, this sounds, oh, Peter, that's so nice of you to say to Jesus. You're looking out for him and what's going to happen next. But listen, friends, Peter is not saying this out of concern for Jesus's well-being. This here, if you look a little deeper in the words that are being used, at this moment from Peter has far more to do with Peter wanting to protect his own self-interest than it does have to do with compassion for Jesus. Because follow me here for a second. If Jesus was arrested... And if Jesus is put to death, how would Peter rule and reign with Jesus in his new kingdom? 
Wait, Jesus. Let me just hold you right, let me just stop you right there. You being arrested and you dying on a cross doesn't really work well for me. That's not what we set out here to do. But this isn't even close to what Jesus had in mind. Jesus is moved by love and compassion, not anger and revenge. Jesus says in response to Peter, whoever wants to be my disciple must what? Deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Just for a second, imagine being in the room for that moment. Other disciples in the room are seeing this happen with Peter and they're just like, shh, <laughs> right? Imagine being in the room for a second with Jesus dropping this truth into your lap. Jesus is basically saying to Peter, no, Peter, man, Peter, you're still missing it. You're still holding on to your own life too tightly. I am here to offer you what is actually life, what is actually good. And Peter, you're totally missing it. And Jesus goes so far as to say to Peter, get behind me, Satan. If it makes you cringe a little bit, that's doing its job well. What an uncomfortable thing to hear from Jesus. He says, you're a stumbling block to me. But catch this next line. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Just like the knights in the Crusades holding their swords out of the water, Peter is holding his own version of good out of the water. As Jesus said, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Jesus, you can have all of me but this. Leon Morris, he's a theologian, he wrote this about this moment. Jesus was speaking about a death to a whole way of life. He was talking about the utmost in self-sacrifice, a very death to selfishness in all forms of self-seeking. Welcome to church this morning. The very thing Peter thought would save his life was actually going to rob him of it. But let's ask the question, because honestly, that's a tough word. That's not warm and cozy with a blanket on a warm fire when the power goes out. That, yeah. Why such strong language from Jesus? Let's ask that question honestly. Why, why such strong words from Jesus? Why, why death to self? Why self-denial? What's, what's so wrong with the self? that it has to die. What's, what's so wrong with the self that it needs to die? Why couldn't Jesus, Jesus just say something like, improve on yourself or, or, or fix yourself? Or why don't Peter, you just get a little bit better at being yourself? Because very truly improvement isn't good enough. We need a whole self transformation. But so let, let me ask this a second question. Have you ever tried to transform yourself by yourself? Have you ever tried to transform yourself at a deep level by yourself? Sure, I can tweak a few things here or there. Right? I can find an exercise routine or a running routine and I can I can change my outward appearance. I can get more fit. I can change my diet. I can throw out every Reese peanut butter cup in my house and be a lot healthier for it. We can do those little tweaks. We can do life hacks and everything else. And that's fantastic. But, but what about the deep stuff? What about the stuff below the surface? What, what about anger? Anxiety? 
selfishness. Friends, I've tried and it just does not work to transform myself by myself. Let's talk about selfishness for just a second. Nothing brings out selfishness in you like being a parent. Can I get an amen? Right? <laughs> I remember getting, when Jesse and I got married, I, I very quickly realized the fact that my life is no longer about me. And then we had kids and it was like, man, my life is now definitely not about me. Nothing brings selfishness out of you like being a parent. I'm learning this especially around five or six in the morning. This is how my morning usually goes. Most of you know this already. I usually set an alarm, so I get up just a few more minutes before Adeline and Olive do my two oldest because, listen, when they get up, the day has started. So I try to get up just a few minutes early, just take a deep breath, have a cup of coffee, and be with Jesus and read the Bible just for a bit. This is usually how it goes. I sit down and I might get two words in of prayer. Or I might read a couple lines, but then all of a sudden I hear two feet stampeding down the hallway. Right by poor baby Samuel's room. And let me tell you, when he wakes up before he's supposed to, we're all in for it for the day. And it's funny, but you know what I've noticed? Far too often, the words that come out of my mouth, I'm not that proud of. Far too quickly, what comes out of my mouth is, girls, be quiet. You're going to wake up Sam. And can't you see that I'm trying to die to myself here and be with Jesus? <laughs> and then reality will hit me very soon after. If I'm really here to be with Jesus, to start my day dying to myself, so that I can live in the life that the Holy Spirit has for me, being formed every single moment, big and small, into the image of Jesus. If that's really why I'm here right now, shouldn't I be a more patient dad? For someone who is denying themselves, whatever's happening right here in this moment, I think I'm doing far more self-indulging and freaking out at my three and six-year-olds simply just because they're excited to be awake. I'm here to be with Jesus and become more like Jesus, but whatever I'm doing right here in my anger and my impatience and my frustration with my kids, trying to be patient all on my own and literally cram in as much prayer and Bible reading as I can, all of this striving... I'm actually looking far more like John at his worst than I am living a life of joy, love, and peace in the presence of God. And what I found is in my selfishness of wanting my own peace and quiet, I can so often miss the invitation to be formed into the image of Jesus right in the middle of parenting my kids. What if self-denial and following Jesus looks like putting my book down? and getting their cereal or whatever million options of breakfast they ask for in the morning. Not with irritation on my face, but with a smile. Because I get to love my girls right now in the name of Jesus. What if self-denial and following Jesus looks like entering their day as a present father? Reading a piece of scripture over their day, instead of trying to escape from them into what I want. What if in my own way to get what I think is good is actually robbing me of the life in the kingdom God has for me? You know what I've discovered? When I slow down 
And I do, as it says in Romans, offering my body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Friends, my mornings are absolutely drenched in the goodness and the presence of God. When I come and I die to what I want and receive from God, what he has for me, friends, I get to delight in my children, not get annoyed by them. I get to sit in the wonder of the family that God has given me, not get angry that they're getting in the way of what I want. Because Jesus made this amazing promise, friends. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus promised, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And what does he promise? All these things will be given to you as well. What a word. I think many of us understand that we need to die to the really big things. Right? Maybe it's an addiction to alcohol or it's, it's a medication, right? Okay, God, I... I I know I need to die to this thing. It's literally killing my body. Or maybe it's sneaking off and looking at pornography when our spouse is asleep. Okay, God, I, I'll die to that because I know right now that is literally killing my marriage. But, but what about some of the things that the world around us would actually say aren't that big of a deal? What about our bad attitudes after a bad day at work? Or maybe the way we talk to our spouse when they're doing that thing that drives us crazy, like leaving a towel on a wet floor. Somebody does that. I don't know who that would be. Or maybe it's the spending habit that's out of control. Or maybe it's the hours and hours and hours we use escaping on Netflix at the end of the day. Maybe it's what we give our time to. Or maybe it's our schedules and our plans. We want, I, I'm not doubting our desire to want what Jesus has for us. We want what Jesus is inviting us all into. But we also, at the end of the day, so many of us, including myself, want what I want. I think one of the biggest lies I bought into as a younger man following Jesus was that I could follow Jesus and I could live like everybody else if it wasn't that bad. Right? If I'm not doing the big stuff, I'm okay. But friends, Jesus actually never promised that. I think so many of us have this low-grade anxiety because we're trying to live two lives at the same time. And we're caught somewhere in the tension of it. The life we want and life in the kingdom of God. But friends, Jesus did not come to give us a half-life. He didn't come to give us a half-life. Jesus came to set us free from the pull between what we want and what God wants. See, in Genesis, it says that we were made in the image of God. When God created humanity, he breathed his presence into humanity. And it's in that point that humans became a living being. It says in Genesis 2-7, Then the Lord formed a man from the dust of the ground, get this, and breathed, his, in, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. The presence of God in humanity was life. Without the presence of God in humanity, there was no life at all. Desiring what God wants is how we were created. But we know the story. Adam and Eve decided that God simply wasn't good enough. And what we find is self-interest, the lie of self-fulfillment and self-indulgence, that becomes our reality. And we've been searching for true and eternal life ever since. But the beautiful story about the gospel is that God did not leave us in this state. Jesus came to bring us back into the life that you and I were created for. Or what he called life in the kingdom. 
John 3, 16 and 17, which literally everybody, pretty much everybody in this room could probably quote back to me. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have what? Eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but friends to save it through him. Jesus says eternal life. Another way to say that is what life was always supposed to be. The most real life, the most true life that, that lasts into eternity. But friends, to have what is eternal, we have to let go of what is not eternal. Paul writes in Ephesians 4, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off the old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds, full transformation. And friends, to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. This right here is why Jesus uses such strong language. To really be my disciple, to really follow me, to really enter the doorway into life in the kingdom, I am offering to you is first and foremost to come and die so that you can truly live. See, the love of God is so strong for you. Friends, it's so good that he does not want a single inch of your life to be untouched by it. I love what Paul says in Ephesians, earlier in Ephesians, he says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, God is not holding out on you. Out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through, through faith. And I pray that being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people. Get this next part. To grasp, read this together, how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. It's my favorite part right here. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. What an invitation. What wouldn't you die to in order to experience a kind of love like that? Or in Galatians, Paul says, I have been crucified, now live in the body. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. Again, I'll ask, what wouldn't you die to in order to experience a love like that? As Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves. And we do this by bringing our anger, our spending habits, our insecurities, our fears and our worries, our, our wounds, our addictions, what we think is good as well as what we think is bad. Every breath that enters our lungs, like we sang this morning, worthy of every breath I could ever breathe. Every thought that enters our mind, every word that leaves our mouth, absolutely every part of who we are. And we bring it to the feet of Jesus and we let it die so that we can taste and see what is actually good. God himself. You and I, every single one of us is filled with what the Bible calls sin. It's, it's what distances us from God. It's, it's this bend away in every single one of us away from what God wants. And, and no one is exempt from it. It says in Romans 3, for all have sinned. Many of you know this and have fallen short of the glory of God. God hates sin. He, he hates the sin and what sin has done to his children, his entire world. 
And he has come to heal and restore what is killing his children. This is, this is why Jesus will go to the cross. Die one of the most painful deaths imaginable. Why? Because of his great love for you. Just like a parent hates the cancer that's killing their only child. Friends, a parent would do anything to take that sickness away from their kid. Take that and multiply that by the most largest number you can even fathom. And that is how much burning love that God has for you. And at the same time, it's how much he hates the disease that is killing what he loves. So Jesus will die on a cross, giving himself out of love for you and for me. But we know three days later, Jesus forever breaks that power of sin and brokenness over us, bringing us into new resurrected life. Friends, we are called to come and die because on the other side of death is eternal life. There you are. I know many of us have grown up hearing this. Listen, I have for most of my life. But I'm learning probably for the first time at the depth of which I'm learning right now is Jesus gets to have all of me. Because it's only then that I get to experience joy everlasting. What does it say in Psalm 16? You make known to me the path of life with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Friends, we are called to come and die because on the other side of death is eternal life. And that doesn't just start into the future, but it starts here and now. But as we close this morning, what does it look like to die to ourselves? How practically do we do that? It's very simple. Before we go any further, I just want to say you can't do that alone. It's only the work the Holy Spirit can do for you and in you. We come and die. He brings us to life. It says in Hebrews 12, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with endurance or perseverance, the race marked out for us. What does it say in verse 2? Fixing our eyes on who? Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. When we've had a long day and you just know you are going to be the worst person in the world to be around. And maybe you're on your drive home and you're just like, God, I do not want to take this out on my family. What does it look like to die to yourself? It means bringing your mood to Jesus and saying, God, my mood is going to absolutely wreck my family's day. So God, here I am. And you take that lie that's, you know, when you're having a bad day in a bad mood, that just becomes everything. It's like tunnel vision. If you're having a bad mood, my goodness, it's like, at least for me, it's like, that's my reality. We need to take that reality and let the truth of Jesus intercept and disrupt that. God, you love me. You've healed me. You've restored me. Take my mood. Take my attitude. Because I want your joy. I want your love. I want your peace. Not how I'm feeling right now. Let your bad mood and your anger die and receive the peace that the, only the Holy Spirit can give you. Or maybe it's late at night and you're scrolling on your phone or on the computer and the temptation to just go to that place you're not supposed to starts to creep in. God, I know I may be feeling lonely right now, but God, this will not satisfy my soul. God, I was made for you. I was made to be satisfied by you. So take my lustful thoughts. Take my loneliness because I want you instead. Let your broken desires go. 
and receive the love and the peace and the satisfaction that only the Holy Spirit can give you. As Jesus said, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. Friends, this is life in the kingdom. In a world where self-interest and the lies of self-fulfillment and self-indulgence are wreaking havoc all over the place, friends, we are invited to find joy, love, grace, and mercy, and goodness unending as we die to ourselves and let the Holy Spirit bring us life. This is a return to discipleship. Whether it's a big death or a little death, we die so that we can live. I'm going to invite Pastor Michelle to come on up. And I want to end with this story. Another story, honestly, many of you are probably familiar with. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. Now, a woman of the town who lived a sinful life, that's another way of saying a prostitute or a sex worker. She learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who invited him said this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him. And what kind of woman she is. She is a sinner. Verse 44 says, Then he turned toward the woman and said to the Pharisee, Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. But this woman, from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. I think this is one of those stories because if you've grown up in the church, you can, we can hear it over and over again. And it's just kind of, yeah, 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 the one with the alabaster jar, I know. In one of the other gospels, Jesus says, this story will never stop being told. Why? It says in Isaiah 43, 19, see, I am doing a new thing. Can you perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. This woman perceived it. This woman poured everything at the feet of Jesus. Friends, her whole life was represented in this bottle. It was how she was known. It was the scent she was known by. It was her treasure. This tiny little bottle of perfume. It was her life. This woman could have been stoned to death simply for entering the house of the Pharisee. She didn't care. She risked everything because she could see in Jesus 
I have everything I am actually longing for. So I will pour myself at his feet to receive the love of Jesus, to receive what is good. While the knights went down into the waters of baptism, holding their swords high, Jesus, you can have all of me but this. This woman, she dove in head first and she never looked back, holding nothing back. Friends, this is the doorway to life in the kingdom. This is the doorway into discipleship to Jesus, to hold nothing back, to be so captured by the love of Jesus that we come to die to everything in order that we will live. So as we end this series, friends, here's the question. What are you holding out of the water? What are you holding out of the water? Jesus, you can have all of me, but not this. Maybe it's anger. Maybe you lose your temper and you just hate it. And you've tried to so many times to stop just being an angry person. You've just tried to stop being an angry dad or, or an angry mom, but you just, you just can't fix it. You've tried so hard and you're just exhausted. And, and you just, you don't know how to save yourself. Or maybe it's something that you watch or you listen to and you just have this gnawing sense that, man, it, I, I don't know if Jesus would watch this if he were me. But you just kind of keep going back to it. Or maybe, maybe it's a spending habit. The worse, the worse you feel, the more money you, you tend to spend. And this cycle actually just starts to make you far worse, not better. Or maybe it's just an overall paradigm for the good life that you've been looking for and it's just not working. It's just, it's just, it's not getting you to what you want. More, more money or more things, bigger, newer, faster, and it's just not delivering on its promise. Friends, listen. Jesus is offering a whole new way to live. And it's for you right now. It's, it's for you right now. Not someday. Not when seasons get better. Not when I have more things all figured out. Not like now. Now. You can put all of it to death. So that you can actually live. But just like the seed, friends. Just like the seed before it grows into a tree, friends, it's got to die first. It's got to die first. I've had this other thing on my mind this week. Maybe for you, you've been following Jesus most of your life. And maybe in past seasons, there's, there's just been moments you're like, man, I used to burn for this stuff. Man, you couldn't keep me out of this building. If there was prayer, I was there. If there was a Bible study, I was there. The pastor had to tell me to leave because uh, I just wanted to stay there all night. I would have camped out in the corner in a sleeping bag. But you just, you just, you look at your life right now and you're just like, man, John, if I could be honest, there's just a state of complacency right now. I'm just kind of numb. I, I just, I'm just kind of here 
but my soul's not here. And you're just like, John, if I could light that fire again, I would. I just don't know how. And so I think I've just kind of settled into just the mundane. I show up here in body, but I don't know where my heart is. Friends, do not settle for a half-life. Do not settle for a half-life. You don't have to restart the fire by yourself. What do they call the Holy Spirit? A fire. He starts it. You just come and die. You don't have to start it. You don't have to figure it out. You just have to come and say, God, I don't want to continue like this. We can't save ourselves. We can't transform ourselves. We can't even really fix ourselves very well. But the question is, how badly do you want to really live? How badly do you want to really live? What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and forfeit their soul?